Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host, the inside of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. It is the first official episode of Silly Season. Silly Season, kids, where the stupid happens, where the fun is, and my goodness, let me tell you guys, where only the best nonsensical stuff will happen, which means it is perfect for The Kuehl Show. We are live here on 12 Ounce Sports. It's right down there in the corner, which means you're watching us on YouTube. You're watching us on the tweeters. You're watching us on the Facebooks. You're watching us on the Zingo TV, channel 761. You want to get on Zingo TV for free? That's cool. Get on there using 12 Ounce. That's the number one. The number two, the letter O or letter Z and Z for you proper English users, Z for you improper English users. This coffee is fantastic today. It is kicking, it's flying, my wife is screaming at me, my dog is barking, it's great. She's probably barking at the chipmunk outside, but that too. We are, of course, always lovely. We're lovely because we are live here because of awesome people like my bookie.ag down there in the corner. Use the promo code 12OUNCESPORTS, guys. You can bet on so much stuff on there. Get signed up for free using the promo code 12 Sports because the Open Championship is this weekend, guys, and there are some golfers that have good odds to do well, which means one thing and one thing only. They are going to be horrendous. Trust me, the last, like, four majors we've had, actually, the previous three majors we've had this year, with the exception of John Ram, who won the U.S. Open just last month, every other favorite that has gone into the Masters or the PGAs has not won, so, uh, be whereabouts when you're betting on mybookie.ag. And of course, as always, up in the corner on the screen, down there on the laptop, our good friends, Second String Leather Company, hashtag crafted from the crease. Guys, right now, 50% off of your favorite Second String Leather wallets. You want a wallet that looks like a waffle board, like a classic Cooper? Sure, you go get it on there. You want one to look like a Brian B? Sure, you want to look what has one that looks like Ray Emery? Absolutely. I mean, his gear, not actually Ray Emery. His gear, then absolutely go on there on secondstringleather.com. Hashtag crafted from the crease. We have a lot to get to today, children. By a lot, I mean, well, not really at all. But we do have some stuff to talk about, though. We have a signing of a senior vice president of player development, question mark. That can confuse the heck out of me. We have a trade to talk about. A kind of a big trade, not like a game-changing trade, but you know what? A trade nonetheless. And, of course, we're going to be joined here at the bottom of the hour, the first hour of today's Kill Show, by Loa Astoyan coming back here for the third time here on the Kill Show? Third time, I believe. She's been on quite a few times here on the Kill Show. And a good happy shout-out to all of our folks there on Instagram Live joining us here for the first half hour to talk about the big news of the day of course, when Laura comes on, by the way, she's from St. Louis Game Time. We'll be talking about the blues. That's not why I'm wearing a Blue Jay shirt today. I'm more or less wearing it because we got Bo Bichette. We got Vladdy Jr. at the All-Star Game. Marcus Semien at the All-Star Game tomorrow. Not competing in the home run derby tonight. You know, it's okay. That's going to be Shohei Otani's time to shine tonight in Denver. It'll be fun. It'll be a beautiful ballpark to hit dingers in because Coors Field, just the fact that it's about a mile above sea level, if not more, Makes it a little bit easier to hit balls out of the ballpark. But they'll be playing tomorrow in the All-Star game. Hence why I'm wearing the Blue Jays shirt today. Even though they're four and a half out of a playoff spot and definitely not catching the Red Sox or the Rays for the top two spots in the American League East. Mm. 
I love me and my death wish. My death wish coffee, I mean, for those that didn't know it, I was just slurping there into the microphone. So let's get to the big news of the day. There is a lot to to kind of figure out with this trade here. Duncan Keith, as we kind of reported last Thursday, it was projected to happen. It was possibly going to happen. Now it officially has happened. Duncan Keith has gone to the Edmonton Oilers from the Chicago Blackhawks. What does this mean, kids? Well, it means that Duncan Keith maybe has a second chance to go to the playoffs. Now, this is kind of odd, given the fact that Chicago, I think, is going to be a better team next year. We'll kind of touch on this, too, when we talk with Laura here in about 25 or so minutes here on the Kill Show. But Duncan Keith going to Edmonton for Caleb Jones, who didn't play a full season last year for Edmonton, but did pick up four points in 33 games played. But the big thing here for Chicago is giving Duncan Keith what he asked for, which was to go play in the Northwest, whether it be in Alberta, B.C., or leave him open for Seattle. Now, here is the crazy thing about this. I do have his contract. It still has yet to be taken off of cap friendly. At least that was of 20 minutes ago. Let me just quick refresh the page. That may have changed since the last time I checked. It's entirely a possibility here. Uh, Looks like it has not. It is still on the Chicago Blackhawks cap friendly page, but it is a no move clause for the final two years making a little over $5.5 million. Hi, Tyler. How you doing, buddy? Uh, so I want to know, and because here's the crazy thing about this. This was the part that none of us really expected. It's the fact that Edmonton is taking the full contract. That right there, I think, is the big thing that everyone's so confused about. Kenny Holland, who is supposed to be making this team better making this team more reputable, making this team more playoff ready. And they may have done that with Duncan Keith. Is Duncan Keith 37 years old? Yes. Is Duncan Keith not getting any younger? Yes. But that said, in a flat cap era, which we're going to be for the next few years, guys, this, you know, we talk about the salary cap era. This will be, this little chunk of it will be that little subsection you see on your Cliff Notes or your Wikipedia page the flat cap era in the National Hockey League because teams are going to have to find a way to be frugal, be thrifty, and try to find a way to save cash while making their teams better. This may have made the Oilers a little bit better. It certainly didn't make them bad, but $5.5 million on a 37-year-old defenseman when you could have easily asked Chicago and Kenny Holland could have been like, listen, Stan, I know we haven't worked much together, but can you take like a quarter of this or something from us? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. All that money. Slap it right on the Edmonton Oilers cap friendly page. I'm not quite sure. Like, would would Chicago just not have gotten much back? I, I'm not quite sure how exactly this had to work. Would Edmonton have, to have given up more? Because they gave up Caleb Jones and a third round pick, too, by the way. As far as I know, it has not been specified yet whether it's been a 2021 third-round pick, which is, by the way, next weekend, not this coming weekend, the following weekend, 23rd and 24th. But you give a player and a third-round pick, a middle-of-the-draft pick, and you're telling me they couldn't force him to eat any of the, any of the cash, which, as of right now, Caleb Jones coming off the books, you lose eight hundred fifty grand if you're Edmonton. You take on five and a half, so you're pretty much 
more or less gaining four and three quarters for a team that has a projected cap space of a little over 16 mil. So you're pretty much all of a sudden down to 12, 13 million dollars, actually 11 or 12 million dollars, excuse me, when you still have to sign guys like possibly Dmitry Kulikov. We talked about this a while last week, maybe Adam Larson. But you also need to get your RFAs, Kaya Yamamoto, who, you, who I think you do need to bring back if you're Edmonton. Dominic Cahoon, who I believe has been a real good breath of fresh air last season. He could be a player. Alex Chason, who is good. Tyler Ennis, you can get at a cheap deal. But I'm just saying, you have to sign these players. And if you want to make this team better, you're going to have to pick up someone in free agency. And all of a sudden, the value of the player you're going to get come late July here diminishes greatly. I don't know exactly what Kenny Holland was thinking by not negotiating it and negotiating it harder. You're telling me you couldn't give it up like a seventh or an extra sixth just so you can tell him, hey, we don't need this late round pick. Take a couple mil off the books. Now, yes, Kenny Holland could use the argument that, hey, I I remember back when we were in Detroit, we had to use six and seventh round picks to pick players and you know develop them into something. I get that. However... This team needs to win now. This is not an Edmonton team that's ready to win three or four years from now and try to develop one of those late-round picks. This is an Edmonton team that is in the prime of Dreisaitl, McDavid, Nuge, dare I say it. Yes, the goaltending's a little... Yeah, and that's the worst thing about this. Didn't even think about that. Tyler Dummy here. You need to pay for a goaltender. You need to get a goaltender. And you're paying five, almost 5.6 for a 37-year-old defenseman that's probably going to be your middle pair defenseman and is probably going to have to play under 20 minutes. How are you expecting to do that and still afford to put a Stanley Cup contender together? Everyone thought that him going to Edmonton was going to help Kenny Holland get like a little bit of a revitalization. He was going to have an opportunity to build back up his stock as one of the best GMs in National Hockey League history. And what are we getting, kids? We're just getting that nice yearly reminder that, hey, in a non-cap world, Kenny Holland, Mr. Illich's and Little Caesar's pizza money there was able to get anything they wanted. Oh, wait, yes, 2008 worked. I get it. That's one cup for Kenny Holland. 97-98, those were Jimmy Devolano's teams. Don't even want to hear it. Jimmy D did all the work. Kenny Holland may have been on the team. He may have been the GM for 98 those were Jimmy D's teams. 2002, the Hall of Fame team. Yeah, kids, that's that's because Big Daddy Warbucks able to walk on through and hand Brett Hall a bunch of money. Oh yeah, they had to take they had to some players had to take pay cuts to get Brett Hall. Yeah, how much how, how much is two thousand dollars to a player back in the day? Come on now, listen, Kenny Holland was a good GM, was a decent GM. Peter Shirelli the same way too. They both had their moments of fame, their 15 minutes of fame for a general manager standards. However, since that time, for both Shirelli and Holland, they have proven time and time again that they are really good at making really stupid decisions, both financially, personnel-wise. It just happened to work out that Kenny Holland got to just be signed on with the team that had the best player in the world and probably the second best player in the league. You talk about Malk and Crosby. You talk about having guys that are you know dynamic duos in today's game, Ovi Backstrom, and I'm trying to go with another one here, Stamkos, Kucherov, and yeah, you have Dreisaitl, McDavid, these two powerhouses that literally lead the league in points for the last couple of years, and you can't 
get anything around them because of the fact that you are eliminating cap space by taking on a defenseman's contract while he may be a key piece to your success, yes, but you need more pieces to become a cup contender. Hey, Dad, how we doing there? Jack Forrester there jumping in the Instagram live. Uh, I just, it's hard for me to think that Ken Holland couldn't tell Stan Bowman, hey, take a couple of mil for us. Kevin Adams was able to let Don Sweeney only pay $4 million for Taylor Hall. Now, I'm not going to say Taylor Hall is at the same level as Duncan Keith. I still think Taylor Hall is a better player than Duncan Keith is, or at least his value is worth more than Duncan Keith right now. But you're telling me that Kenny Holland couldn't hold a million and a half over Stan Bowman's head say, hey, keep this. Now, yes, would he still be paying $4 million for Duncan Keith? Correct. Would that be bad? It wouldn't be great, but it's better than almost $6 million for Duncan Keith when you need to sign a goaltender. Because I'm sorry, kids, Miko Koskinen is not going to be the hero. I don't want anyone to tell me otherwise on that. This team is going to be rough. It is not going to be pretty. They are not going to be good. However, if it's what Kenny Holland wants, it's what he's going to get. And, I mean, you look at the defense they have now. So you have Nurse. You have Bear. Chris Russell, he's got one more year at 1.2. Oh, yeah, by the way, Nurse, Bear, and Russell, each in the last years of the contract. And Nurse is making 5.6 right now. I don't know how big of a pay raise he's going to get, but he's going to get one. Evan Bouchard, he is the future of your blue line. You have him for two more years on his ELC. You want to develop him. And that's just about it. You have Philip Broberg, who's also on his ELC. Like I said, you still have Larson to possibly re-sign. Dmitry Kulikov, you could look at re-signing. I don't know what the plan is with Tyson Berry. If he fell in good favor with the Edmonton Oilers last year, he didn't seem like he was a superstar that he was when he was in Colorado. Now, granted, that's because the system worked. Look at Kale McCart. Kale McCart looks like a Norris Trophy winner, possibly. Could have been. If you put Kale McCart with the Leafs right now, would it work? Maybe not. If it would have worked with Edmonton, maybe not. But it works with Jared Bednar's system. That's why Tyson Berry, when he came to Toronto, was such a hot commodity. Tyson Berry is that not, he's not that anymore. He's good, but he's not great. So, you now let's look at what this does for Chicago. Chicago gets a guy that's solely developing into a possible everyday NHLer. He's got Caleb Jones has one more year. It's 850 grand contract is an RFA at the end of it with Arbrights. Now, yes, yeah, Chicago is not sitting pretty with cap space, given the fact that they have JT or Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane signed up for 10 and a half each for a while. We'll get to the Patrick Kane thing here in a second. That happened on Saturday, by the way, we'll get to that here in just a moment. But, as of right now, for not this, I mean, this season, they have Vinny Hesenrosa, who is a UFA. They may look at getting him. Like I said, they got to get Pius Suters re-signed. I don't see why you don't want to re-sign Adam Gaudet, despite him having Arbrights as well. You also have to re-sign Nikita Zadorov on the back end. Goaltending, you're all set for one more year. Each defenseman pretty much set as well, with the exception of Caleb Jones having to be re-signed next year. And Adam Bockfuss, Adam Bockfuss will be the other defense we have to sign after next season. Chicago may not be a bad team next year, guys. They may not be an awful team to look at. I'm not saying they're going to get swamped. I'm not, I'm not saying this team is just going to tear through the Central Division, which we, like I said, we will go into. We talk with Laura Story in here about 15 minutes and change. But 
they're going to be an interesting team to watch. They showed glimpses during this season, albeit 56 games, but I don't think this team can be taken lightly. This team is not going to finish last place, as I promptly predicted last season. I think the Hawks may be a team, given the fact that yes, you're going to have Saint, you're going to have Minnesota, you're going to have Winnipeg, you're going to have Dallas, revitalized Dallas. I truly think that the Central Division now, because don't forget, Carolina, Tampa, Florida. I'll go back to the Atlantic. Or excuse me, Carolina, the Metro, the two Florida teams back to the Atlantic. So the Central Division, guys, all of a sudden with Colorado moving in, Colorado will probably be the top spot in that division. Arizona coming on over as well. I think the Central Division is going to be up for grabs despite the top team. I don't see why Colorado can't go back and go jump up to the top of that Central Division. However, two and three and possibly a wild card because that still that West Division Hey, that Pacific Division over there, yikes. I mean, Seattle's going to be in there. Seattle may have a chance, guys, to finish second in that division. That's how bad the West, the Pacific is right now. Let's just keep that into context right now, folks. But if you're Chicago, you like this move because, like I said, you lose five and a half mil, and you know what? This little retooling, I don't even want to call it a reboot, this team, but if Kevin Lankinen can come back and avoid a sophomore slump as I knock on wood for the poor kid, played so well at times for the Hawks last year, if Malcolm Subban can be a solid 1B, who's their other goaltender? Is the three signed? Uh, Kevin, like Colin D'Elia. Colin D'Elia, who's shown some flashes at times that he can be a starting goaltender. Of course, D'Elia is the famous one now. He's the one that got injured that saw Scott Foster go in that game a couple years back against Winnipeg. But you have you have a three goaltending tandem between D'Elia, Subban, and Lankinen that is cheaper than... Most tandems in the NHL right now. Now, was this threesome, this this trio of goaltenders going to win the Hawks' Stanley Cup? Probably not. Could they make them competitive? Sure. Chicago's in that same boat, similar to Detroit, where they don't need to go after a goaltender. They shouldn't go after a goaltender. Now, yes, you need to sign goaltenders so they can play in net, so you can legally have an official NHL hockey game. But what I'm saying is don't, buy a goaltender because you're not a contender yet. This will be a conversation we have with someone from the wings later on down the line. The Red Wings are good. They're going to get better. I would say they're good, but like they're good as compared to a couple years ago. Let's put it this way. They're not going to lose. They're not going to win only 15 games next season. That's what I'm saying. They'll be competitive in the Atlantic. They'll be, they can't be worse than Buffalo, right? So, but that's what I'm saying is if you're Chicago, you ride with what you have in goaltenders you may sign a couple of players here and there, but don't go flying off the wall saying, we need a goaltender or we need a top four defenseman or something like that. Don't drop a few million dollars on a defenseman for us for a buy when a, you're not a team that should be buying. Fill it out with certain piece. Hey, Tyler Ennis, there you go. We talk about depth players you could use, get them for cheap. Tyler Ennis right there. Would it work with the Chicago system? I'm not sure. But I think Jeremy Carlton's starting to put a real good positive thing together. Like I said, Jonathan Taves is back. And, of course, Patrick Kane has won the ESPY on Saturday for the best NHL player of the year. That is how we segue there, kiddos. This will be the last thing here before we jump on with Laura Storian from St. Louis Game Time. How? I get it. I get it. It's one of those things that you... 
seven years of NHL on ESPN. And one, it's the, one of the first things they do, SP for the best NHL player of the year, which had guys like Connor McDavid, 105 points in 56 games. Leon Dreisaitl, second, didn't hit 100, but had still had more than everyone else. Nikita Kucherov had two of the best interviews we've seen in the last week or so. Led the playoff in scoring. He's pretty good. Heck, he even could have gone Steven Stamkos. He could have gone Braden Point. You know, if you want to go off the wall, sure, do Nathan McKinnon. He led that half team pretty darn, you know, not far in the playoffs, but he's the reason why their offense is so darn good. Marc-Andre Fleury won the Vezina. Sure, give it to him. Heck, Adam Fox at least won a trophy. You could give it to him, and I would have been like, okay, sure. You give it to Patrick Kane, though. Why? How lazy are you to say, Patrick Kane is the best player in the National Hockey League? Guys, I'm sorry. I lo- Patty Kane is the best American player. Probably in the game today. Okay, Al McCarr is coming on pretty strong here, but there was at no point in Patrick Kane's career, even when he was winning cups with the Hawks, back when they were doing some cap circumvention, no one's complaining. Well, pardon me. Tampa, not teams were complaining about it, but it was not as big of a story as it was with Kucherov. Anyways, even when Patrick Kane was at his peak, Hart Trophy Patrick Kane, Cup Champion Patrick Kane, he was not the best player in the league then. There was some guy by the name of Sidney Crosby that was in there. And Alexander Ovechkin as well. You literally could have picked anybody, well, I'll say anyone else, but you know what I mean. Of the top players in the league today, Patrick Kane's not the first one that comes to your mind. Sidney Crosby received Hart Trophy votes more than Patty Kane. And he still was overlooked for the SB. I'm not trying to bash ESPN here early, guys. I know it's it's so early. I don't want to do the angry August on ESPN, and they haven't even had a game yet broadcasted in over 15 years. I want to give them a chance, but then I'm like this. I'm like, and I get it. The SBs, they're they are a show. And I will say this: if you want to know how overlooked the SBs are. I I write for M Live here in Michigan, and I write how to watch this, and I and I sometimes do. I majorly majorly do games. I'm going to do a lot for the Olympics coming up here. I'm really excited about that. Not for my sleep schedule, but I'm excited. But I asked my editor, I'm like, hey, the ESPYs are coming up on Saturday night because I had done like the hot dog eating contest. I did the spelling bee, whatever, and stuff like that. Stuff that's kind of neat and cool. I asked about the ESPYs, thinking this will be pretty important, pretty cool, given the fact that. This is an opportunity, you know, people to see the best of sports for the year. That was 2020, 2021. My editor said, no, don't do it. It's not worth it. Never generates any money, never generates revenue, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, cool. And I'm glad I didn't because uh, dumb stuff like that. Speaking of dumb stuff, has anyone seen the the clips from the, the party that was today in Tampa Bay? So the Tampa Bay Lightning had their second boat parade in a row as their back-to-back cup champions, which I'm glad to see simply because of the fact that last year they were not able to celebrate with the cup. They were able to take it. You know how players get it for a day. They were not able to do that last year. So I'm really I'm really happy that they were able to win it again. That's the only reason why I'm happy they won again is because the fact that A, well, Stamkos actually got to win a cup where he played in it. But he also, they are going to be able to celebrate with the summer with the cup. I'll be a condensed summer, but they're going to have their chance. They're going to have their day with the cup. Every member of the team, unlike last season, 
So it's exciting to see that. But then they had the boat party again today and it was even better than it was last year. A, I think there are more boats out there. B, (laughs) I can't show it because I haven't clipped it or whatever. But if you go on social media right now, there's a picture swarming of the cup coming off the boat parade. Somehow the cup got dropped somewhere and the bowl is dented on one side flat. Now, I don't know what Nikita Kucherov was doing the entire time. He was wearing the Conn Smythe Trophy as a hat, which is pretty unique. However, somehow denting the cup is just pure gold, even though it's a silver chalice, but it's pure gold. It's the way that way Tampa's, they've partied hard, guys. They have partied hard over the past few months. Or they, they I mean, Tampa... The Bucks won. Tom Brady got blitzed out of his mind and chucked the Vince Lombardi trophy. Heck, the Super Bowl trophy was in the boat parade today for the Lightning. I guess they're trying to flex their muscles at their title town now down there in Tampa. Listen, the Rays haven't won yet, so however the Rays, they're in there. They're hanging in there in a playoff spot. They're in the AL East, but I I just love it because they I don't know. It was one of the local news that came up like, how are you enjoying the party? And it's Kucherov, of course, shirtless. Backwards cap, hair flaw at the back, conked out of his mind. Oh, we're having a great time here. Oh, look at Oh, I love that. What do you think about the team this year? We were early asking Kucherov the cocky questions right now on a boat, and you probably knew he had at least a 2-4 and probably a couple of shots of vodka before he got on that thing. You kidding me? Oh, the team's great. Oh, man. Oh, dude. I'll say this. I'm not going to knock him for because, like I, we talked about with Matt last Thursday, it's what the game wa- it's what the game needs. It's what the league wants, what people always say they want. And he's just having a great time. He's having a great time. And shout out to Bud Light or whatever the heck it was that got these cool shirts they got. They had the one today that I saw. I have to uh, censor it here. Because uh, remember how he was talking about how Kucherov, after they won the cup last week, talking about how Vasilevsky didn't win the Vaz. And he says, it's number one BS. There was a shirt that they were wearing. It said number one BS. <laughs> And there's also the other one that said storming over the cap. That one was a great one as well. And Kucherov has just made himself a legend. Like the Russians know how to party guys. Cause you, I mean, I don't know if he's going to be able to, you know, overtake Alexander Ovechkin in the Washington capitals, famous 2018 cup summer celebration, literally the entire year. I can tell you guys, Tampa is starting off strong. They are, I mean, now, granted, they have less of a, an offseason, though, Washington does. Now, granted, I think Washington just showed up at training camp hungover, hence why they won the division that year in 2019 and then bowed out to Carolina in the first round. They've done that ever since. But regardless, I I like to think Tampa's going to go at it hard because now they actually get to celebrate. They get to go out to bars and go out to parties and be with people and be with friends and family. Not as much as they were last year. Now, yes, there were probably some people that did have some parties with friends and family. I get it. A lot of people were able to go behind the books there, but now you get to really go out in the open and celebrate with the city and boy, they're going to go at it hard down there in Tampa Bay. And with that, we're going to take a break because I don't want to party too much here on the Kiel show because we're just getting started. Laura, a story and just on the other end of the break, we'll, she'll be joining us to talk about the St. Louis blues, the nonsense that's going on down there with some guy named Vladimir Tarasenko. You don't want that to happen, right? You don't want to lose that guy. Well, you may not want to lose him, but he wants to get out of there. We'll get the details from her when we come back right after this here on The Kula Show. 
And welcome back to the Kuehl Show here, everyone. Tyler Kuehl here to yammer away about more awesome stuff here on the Kuehl Show here on 12 Ounce Sports for this Monday edition. Back to one show a week, remind you to you guys. So I will not be on Thursday. So, I mean, if you tune into the 12 Ounce Sports Network, you'll probably find some other awesome stuff, but you won't find me. So I do apologize. We're back to one show a week because... Not as much going on right now. However, there is some news going on down in St. Louis. Vladimir Tarasenko, he pertained to this a little bit last week. He decided to, or at least his agent decided to drop a bombshell right in the middle of game five of the Stanley Cup Finals, saying that he wants out of town. That does Tarasenko. Why? How is it going to happen? Will it happen? Where will it happen? Where will he go? Let's try to get a little bit more down low information here. Let's bring in our... Lovely, esteemed St. Louis Blues reporter. She writes for the St. Louis Game Time on SB Nation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. Hildy Mack herself, Laura Astorian. Laura, how are we doing today? Doing good. How are you doing? Well, I am doing swell. The weather is not horrendous. I am not dying, so that's good. How are things down there in the dirty south? Cannot complain. That is... It's, it's, this summer's been going pretty good. Laura, uh, for I think we probably brought this up the last time we had you on here. You're actually a teacher too, and you know we've we've talked to broadcasters and players this year. You know how they fought through the pandemic. How was it teaching during the pandemic? Uh, it was. Pro- I, I've been doing this for last year was my 17th year teaching, and um, that was hands down the hardest year of my career. <laughs> it, it was. Um, it was pretty stressful, but you know, once we kind of got everything kind of figured out, it got better. But I'm just glad that you know, hopefully, we won't have to um, to do anything like that again for like quite some time. Yeah how how are things down in Georgia now? Because I was down in Texas for the U18s, and it was right after the mask mandate was lifted. Now people were still wearing masks, or whatever. But vaccination rates seem to be going up. How are things down there with that? Um, we could be more vaccinated. I think I read today that it's like either 37% or 39% of people are fully vaccinated. Um, and I think most of those are like in Metro Atlanta. Okay. So the, some of the more rural air areas and non, uh, non Metro areas could probably step it up a bit. Um, and masking, I mean, honestly, the second that the CDC said, you know, hey, unvaccinated people can go and take your mask off, like everybody magically was vaccinated. So <laughs> well, it <laughs> was. Or go ahead. It just kind of feels like everything's back to normal, even though you know most of us are aware that it's not. But oh. it's, it's almost like, according to Brian Kemp, there there was not a pandemic and everything is fine. So everything is awesome. <laughs> it's like exactly. the stuff like a movie comes on. I'll, I'll say this. I, if I catch, if I remind myself, I'm not like trying to rush into a grocery store. I will go to a grocery store with a mask on simply because of the fact that I can go into a grocery store, into a gas station and point out which people have and have not been vaccinated. It's exactly it's it's one of those things. And, you know, we're it's getting better. I know our friends to the north are struggling a little bit, but there's whispers that the Blue Jays may come back in a few weeks to the Sky Dome, which hopefully means the border is going to open, which means I can hopefully go to a game in Toronto because I have my vaccination card. It's not laminated. It's in my wallet. I'm ready to go to Canada. I need me my Canada back because I feel like I've gotten so salty. I need to be baptized in the waters of positivity there, Laura. Exactly. And that's, 
I mean, hopefully it'll hopefully it'll happen soon. I mean, I think overall, at least, you know, unless you live in a hot spot, stuff's at least noticeably getting better. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Hopefully more people are doing the right thing than I suspect. I hope so, too. I'd like to have faith in humanity. There's been glimpses, you know, just sometimes it's, yeah. it's been a little little fuddy-duddy, uh, especially working in News Talk Radio. But let's get down to the possibly the not good news in terms of hockey. Vladimir Tarasenko, Laura, wants out of St. Louis. Now, you could say the writing's been on the wall ever since Ryan O'Reilly was named captain of the Blues after good old boy Alex Petrangelo went to Vegas yet because he came out and said that he wasn't too happy with the decision do you think this is kind of an accumulation of a year's worth of frustration with there with the russian i feel like it it does play into it a little bit um because the one of the things that really stuck out to me while i was reading um the piece that jeremy rutherford uh wrote and published like you said right in the middle of game five um I was I was reading through that, and I think I assumed it would be mostly about you know the issues with the shoulder. Most of it was, but um, seeing that captain stuff pop up again in that article, I, it kind of made me roll my eyes a little bit. It's like, you know, the decision was made, and I understand that he wasn't happy, and you know, I don't I don't blame him. Um, but you know, at the same time, the decision's done. You know, I mean, get get past it or, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you. And it's it's unfortunate that that's hanging around. But, to, I mean, Tarasenko had to have realized at some point that, I mean, he was going to be out for most of last season. So, you know, why would the Blues give the captaincy to somebody who wasn't even necessarily going to play, you know, before the playoffs? Right. You know, so I, 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 I get where if the reports and everything else are accurate, you know, I get where Tarasenko is coming from, but I still don't really quite understand why the whole captaincy thing keeps coming back up again. Yeah, it's it's tough because sometimes when it happens once, especially if a player doesn't love being there. Now, I don't know if Tarasenko, by the way, former NHL cover athlete Tarasenko, I should probably remind folks of that. It's only, it has okay. been, it's been four years. However, that happened at one point because at one point, Laura, let's be honest, he was the best player on the blues bar none. And even when the team was kind of bouncing around between playoff contender and second round exit, first round exits, he was one of their star players. And you yeah. think, I mean, how did it go from him being happy with the situation in St. Louis being the star player, you know, seven and a half million dollar contract. That's certainly no chunk, no cheap change there to going from, I don't want to be here anymore. I, I honestly think that, um, it's just him being unhappy with how the shoulder injuries, how he feels they were handled. And, I understand that. I mean, he missed basically two into almost nearly two entire seasons, you know, because of having to be operated on twice. And neither of those operations, apparently, you know, according to Tarasenko worked like they were supposed to. So, I mean, like I completely get like that portion of like, you know, if that's what happened, then yeah. I mean, I understand why he's upset. I'd be upset too. Um, Cause I mean, it doesn't just, you know, it isn't just the shoulder. It's also, you know, it hurts his um, production. It hurts his, 
uh, value uh, to other teams in free agency or like what we're going to see coming up with a trade. Um, so if, if what Tarasenko said, that if, if it didn't get the shoulder, didn't get fixed correctly until the third surgery when he saw an outside doctor, because they apparently they may have missed a ligament or, or something like that. I mean, I, I can understand why a player would be upset. And I mean, I can understand why, you know, you know, he, I think we're seeing a little bit of it with Jack Eichel up in, in, in Buffalo. You know, the player's biggest investment is, you know, is their health and is their body. And if that doesn't work, then, you know, it, it, it hurts their earning capabilities. So, right. Right. you know, because everything up until, I would say probably, hmm, probably right around the stoppage of play last season, everything, like all the articles and interviews and stories and stuff about Tarasenko were fine. Like no inkling of, of him being upset. And then, you know, after he had a second shoulder surgery, I remember, um, was kind of watching an interview or reading an interview with him. And it's kind of getting the idea, like he doesn't seem happy, but of course, you know, you assume it's because he just had shoulder surgery and, you know, had to leave the playoff level. Right. But, I mean, the way that things are now, it just kind of, it does make make you wonder, like, were some of the things in the past that we just chalked up to, well, it's shoulder surgery, well, he's not playing this well because, or playing as well as he should because, you know, he's still trying to recover or whatever. You know, the, the current situation just kind of, almost encourage you to go back and, and reevaluate some of the stuff that we've seen. So I don't know. It's, it, it's very frustrating to see. And, you know, especially because if what Tarasenko said is accurate, I mean, it sounds completely avoidable. Yeah. And that, that's the tough part. Like, cause you mentioned Jack Eichel in there. We've gone over that the last few episodes as well. And we're going to probably do a deep dive when we get closer to free agency, because it's, it's hard because some, you know, the idea is that the teams have the players' best interests in mind. At least that's what the word on the street always is. However, sometimes you go underground and you hear, you know, maybe it's just not the best doctor, especially when you mess up a shoulder surgery. Because we can't forget that cup run year. He had 68 points in 76 games. He was an outstanding force. I let me let me look over how many points he had. 17 points in the playoffs, and still was a big part of the team. Comes, you know, gets hurt, was playing well, 10 points in 10 games, comes back in the playoffs, doesn't do a whole lot because he was still recovering, didn't play as much, obviously, this past season, still had 14 points in the games he played. Like, this guy can still produce if he can get back to healthy. But, Laura, the hard part is how much do you think his value has diminished over these two years? Because even if there is the possibility of him coming back to a 65, 60-point player, how long is that going to take for him to become the full 100% guy that we saw a couple of years back? That's the question that other teams are probably asking right now. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't, I don't blame other teams right now for uh, for being hesitant because it, it, any trade involving him is you're betting on him to be able to recover, and you know any trade that Doug Armstrong makes, he's betting on against him being able to recover. So. It, it kind of hamstrings potentially not only where Armstrong led the assets and what he has to do to make a trade, but, you know, what the other general managers have to. Because if 
the other GMs genuinely believe he can get back to that level, then, you know, Armstrong is going to try to ask for more than, you know, if somebody's legitimately betting on this, that they're going to be asked for more than they can, than they could put down as a bet. So I think that it really throws kind of a wrench in here with um, any sort of trade negotiations, especially because Tarasenko has, you know, the, the 10 teams that he's mentioned, which nobody for sure knows, you know, what they are. You know, that's, that limits the, the pool and that limits the group of people that Armstrong can talk to. And, you know, any, any GM, I think right now is going to try to, to lowball Armstrong. Um, and I mean, I wouldn't blame them because they could get Tarasenko and he could only score 15 goals next year and he could get hurt again. He could, you know, God forbid something happened to his shoulder again. I mean, you don't know if he's ever going to be able to come back. Um, so I do think that it really does hurt the value that the Blues can get out of him in a trade. Um, I, I, I think that unless we get a hold of him, they get a hold of a really optimistic GM um, who's willing to part with some good stuff um, for Tarasenko. I have a feeling that this is going to be a little bit more of a Tarasenko may have to be packaged with some other stuff um, or Armstrong will have to offer to hold on to um, to keep part of this retain part of the salary um, to actually get Tarasenko out the door. As long as he doesn't go to the Ken Holland and school of negotiations, we learned with the Duncan Keith trade earlier today where Edmonton's oh, taking on five and a half plus million dollars of Duncan Keith. But I'll say this though, albeit I think Vladimir Tarasenko full at seven and a half is more valuable than 37 year old Duncan Keith at five and a half, but that's just me. Uh, oh, uh, completely. But St. Louis in terms of other assets, I don't know what you want to do with players, but they don't have a second and a fourth this year. They don't have a seventh next year, but uh, every other round going through 2023, they still have in terms of picks. So you could add something to sweeten the pot. But I guess the big thing here is because we see this all the time. As soon as someone comes out saying they want to trade, every other GM that's smart, not looking at you, Kevin Adams, over there in Buffalo, everyone knows that that team is going to be desperate, that GM is going to be desperate to get him out of there, which, like you mentioned, you could lowball Dougie Armstrong. Now, I've seen Dougie Armstrong in person. I saw him at the U18s. That man has a bald head that I would not want to mess with. However, (laughs) over the phone, though, I'm sure it's completely different. You can definitely probably be a little bit more hesitant towards him, but it is seven and a half million dollars. And I, the reason why I think I got to ask this is because you got to try to figure out if you're Doug Armstrong, where you, where your team is at. We saw this team get in at the fourth spot of the West, which we learned was the, no offense to everyone out there in California. It was the weakest division. I think this year, you know, you had Colorado and Vegas up there one, two at the top, but everyone else, Minnesota, and Minnesota, I would say, because I think Minnesota could have beaten Vegas. That would have been something. But the rest of that division, Arizona, L.A., Anaheim, you know, St. Louis, they got in, but wasn't really the strongest division, Laura. So I, I think going back to the Central now, Doug's got to say to himself, all right, do we want to try to get stuff in return, like actual players that can help us now? Or does the word retool or rebuild come into his mind when making this transaction possible here, Laura? Well, I there have been a few interviews with Armstrong and um, with uh, the majority owner of the Blues, Tom Stillman, where they keep you know talking about the window to win is still open and um, that they want to keep 
you know, adding players and working towards winning another Stanley Cup. But at the same time, though, Armstrong's never go, never been hesitant to if there's been um, either an issue or he he needs to, you know, improve in a particular position or if he just wants to get people's attention. I mean, he's never really been super hesitant to um, to shake stuff up. Right. Um, but it also kind of makes you wonder, too, though, that if Tarasenko does get it does get dealt, you know, does this make it a little bit more important for Armstrong to look at uh, Jane Schwartz and, and Mike Hoffman and keep them around or, you know, look at some of the free agents and see if he can get somebody comparable um, to one or both of those guys. Yeah, that, it's it's going to be a tough offseason. I think it's going to be a tough offseason for a lot of teams just because I keep saying it. I know it's going to get a – it should become a hashtag at this point. Flat cap. Hashtag flat cap. Mm-hmm. Like for every transaction that is made, every signing done on free agent frenzy on the end of July here, everything, even dra- trades at the draft, should have the hashtag flat cap in it. I know it's you know sometimes it's tough to fit in 280 characters, but it's got to become a thing, Laura. But because you mentioned there are, there's a lot of players to be signed here and seven and a half million is a lot for Vladimir Tarasenko, but Hoffman's a UFA, Bozak's a UFA, Jane Schwartz is a UFA, Barbashev, uh, Sanford, Jordan Kai, Robert Thomas, all RFAs, Barbashev and Sanford both have Arbrights and Vince Dunn is also has arbitration rights. He's the only defenseman that's contract is up goaltending you have locked up, but of the names that I mentioned that need to be signed. Are we over half get signed this coming season, Laura, or is this something where Doug Armstrong is going to have to get a little frugal with his cash count that he has? Um, I think, well, I mean, a lot of it does kind of boil down to, you know, what do they do with Vladimir Tarasenko and who they get in, in return? But um, some of it also boils down to, like, who do the uh, who did the Kraken wind up taking off the Blues' hands at um, – you know, at the expansion draft, um, you know, the, then I think we could probably get a better overall picture. Um, I do think that Armstrong's going to really push, especially for Schwartz. Um, the the Blues do not play well when he's not in the lineup, like whenever, whenever he's been injured, whenever he's been out. Um, the Blues haven't played as well as they should in the past. So it kind of makes me a little nervous what would happen if he just isn't on the team anymore. Um, I think that he contributes a lot um, that uh, isn't necessarily on the score sheet. Um, Hoffman, I don't, I don't really know because part of it, you know, he was great down the stretch uh, once he started being utilized more on the power play. Um, And honestly, his power play scoring towards the end of the season is probably why the blues made the playoffs. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it really probably is. So I think that Armstrong's going to work on that one. I just don't know, like, on Hoffman's end, like, if he'll be open to it necessarily or not, just based on, you know, how he was utilized throughout a lot of the season and then the, the couple games he was benched and and things like that. He may not feel like he was exactly utilized correctly by the coaching staff, and that might make him kind of want to try to, Try to go elsewhere for a pay raise. So I don't. I don't know. It's just really tough to to figure stuff out. You know, with Tarasenko hanging over everything, and then the Kraken trying to hopefully draft Sack Sanford. But um, 
that probably won't happen. It'll it'll that'll probably be like Barbashev or a player that like doesn't need to go <laughs> to Seattle. But it's hard to it's hard to predict stuff right now. Yeah, that that's that was the next question I was going to ask you here because the way it works out, we haven't really discussed the details too much here, but there's two options, and it it still confuses me how exactly it works here for the way people can protect teams can protect players. They can do seven forwards, three D, and a goaltender, or eight total skaters and a goaltender. And I'm like, so you can either cover more. And now the grant, I'm pretty sure the eight skaters deal is if you have four defensemen you want to protect or more than seven forwards. If you're looking at St. Louis's roster right now, Laura, there are only seven signed forwards that have ended angel experience, according to Cap Friendly. Yes, there's quite a few defensemen. I mean, you could be, I mean, St. Louis could really protect the majority of that front end, which includes still has O'Reilly. I mean, Tarasenko, but you don't want to lose him for nothing, obviously. Shen, yeah. uh, David Perron, Sammy Blake, Clifford, and Mackenzie McEachern are the only forwards that are signed. Now, I, don't, I wouldn't cover McEachern. He's a Michigan State guy. He went to Brother Rice here in Michigan. <laughs> no worry about him. Um, but you mentioned the, <laughs> mentioned the RFAs are available as well. And of course, I'm sure if the contracts are close, you may want to protect them as well. But there's an opportunity here for them to protect a lot of players here and kind of really, I guess, push Seattle to pick someone else. Now, granted, we still have to wait for a lot of the under-the-table dealings here before we get to that point. But if, yeah. you, if you were to pick someone, you said you hope Zach Sanford. Realistically, and you mentioned Barbashev there as well, who they may go after. If you were Ron Francis in Seattle right now, and you were looking at what is available here, and you can try to guess on who is going to get protected, who's not, who do you think is going to go from St. Louis to Seattle next season? Um, that's a good question. Not Zach Sanford. I'm about a thousand percent sure that does not happen, but I think that it, Jake Wallman, that's right. It's Jake Wallman's going to go. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Wallman's up there too. And, um, I really think that, you know, if, if there's a, a possibility to, um, get a hold of a, um, an older veteran kind of defenseman that still plays well, um, I think Marco Scandella would be an interesting selection um because Falk's going to be you know Falk is obviously going to be protected um after last season more than likely so it it wouldn't surprise me if if Ron Francis kind of went for Scandella um you know just based on you know his skill set and the fact he's had a couple really or well, about a season and a half, pretty much. Uh, pretty good um, work with the Blues so far. Uh, I think he's made himself really appealing. Um, as far as forwards go, um, Lay seemed to be in the doghouse a lot last year, hmm. which is unfortunate, but he just kind of did. Because he's um, he such a good playoff in that cup run, right? Yeah. He just, he had a couple, like he got, the suspension, of course, in what was it, the first or second game of the season. Um, yeah. You know, that wasn't exactly the best way to start the year off. But, I mean, like, he's put himself in a couple positions this year that I think uh, kind of came across as, you know, detrimental to the team's best interest um, on ice. And there, there were a few times where he was benched, and I don't really think that um, – that the coaching staff was getting out of him, you know, whatever it was they were looking for, but he's still a good player and he's still um, somebody I think 
would be really useful uh, for another team. And I think he's honestly, I still think he's somebody who's useful for the Blues, but um, there's a possibility with the forwards that they go with Blay. But a lot of it, too, like just kind of depends on who's, which of the RFAs are taken care of and who's signed and who Armstrong decides to protect and all that good stuff. Yeah, because the, the rules are also, we talk about Justin Falk having you protected. It's only the players that have no move clauses that have to be protected. Oh, that's right. So the no trade yeah. clause guys could be iffy. So that includes Krug. But I would, I would think, I mean, if you got sign a guy for six and a half for a few years, you think you'd keep him? I, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. Uh, you do have Jordan Bennington there for six mil. And let's, let's jump over to the goaltending here because I remember during that cup run, the first time we had you on Laura, we were praising Jordan Bennington. Like he was the second coming of either the young <laughs> Curtis Joseph or the old Grant Fuhrer, however you want to look at it there in St. Louis, not Roman turf. We want to forget him. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, where where's your confidence at with Bennington? Yes, I know the sweep was bad against Colorado, but he didn't play horrendous. There was the one gaffe in the one game against Colorado, but he was their best player in those four games. He gave the team a chance, even though the offense couldn't click because Colorado decided to do what they did last year against Arizona, do well in the first yeah. round, kick the crap out of the team, and then lose in the second round to the Vegas Golden Knights. But I... Is he still the guy, like the undisputed number one goaltender in St. Louis? Because I watch him during the regular season, and I say to myself, "You," sh-, he's like, he shows glimpses of the 2019 Bennington, but the next game he allows five and tries to go after Devin Dubnik or tries to go after another goaltender. Yeah. And I get it, he's a loose cannon. That's always been his thing. But where is your confidence level at with Jordan Bennington? I mean, I I guess I'm okay. Um I'm not, I've never necessarily been like, oh my God, he's the goalie of tomorrow. Um, just just because as fantastic as he was in the Stanley Cup run, um, sometimes stuff just happens. And sometimes you just catch, you know, lightning in a bottle and you have that moment and then the moment's gone. And I think we've seen that like oh, quite a few times um, with goaltenders probably over the past decade. So like I didn't really, I wasn't a huge fan necessarily about the the term and the cost of his of his contract, but I also kind of realized that it's like that's how you get him to stay is you do that. And the 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 goalie market at the time wasn't really. I mean, the Blues weren't going to necessarily get anybody better, so you might as well stick with what you know. Um, so I'm I'm confident just for the fact that you know I pretty much have to be. Because he's he's who the Blues have picked as their starter, and um, you know Huso got a lot better down the stretch uh, last year, but for a, probably about two thirds of the season, you know you could pretty much set your watch by the fact that you know somebody was going to score on their first or second shot against him. That happened a lot, so I'm really hoping Huso or hoping Huso get continues to improve, but. Um, you know, I think that we're we're Jordan Bennington's team by default. You know, so if I talk myself into having faith that he's going to do fine or that he's going to, you know, kind of shore some stuff up here this off season, then maybe I maybe I feel a little bit better um, about having you know kind of a little bit like you said, like a loose cannon um, in net like that. 
Well, I, I, I say this, and this is nothing against Jordan Bennington and whatnot, but I feel like he, if he actually gets into a fight, I think he'll calm down a little bit because nobody, <laughs> nobody wants to fight him. Cause I, it's because here's the thing. Here's everyone's like, oh, he's Ronnie Hextall over again. No, Cause Ronnie Hextall will actually fight you and he won't mm-hmm. give you a choice. Jordan Bennington seems like that kind of kid on the playground that tries to pick everyone's bones. Like, no, I'm not going to deal with you. But if someone stepped up to him, I just don't think it would end well. Because wasn't he? Isn't he like a buck seventy or something like that? He's not the biggest guy. Oh yeah, he's not a big. He's not a big guy at all. Yeah, I I, I want to say I'm like man. I, every time I see it, because when he went up to Devin Dubnik, and I'm like, that guy's got man strength or he's got dad strength. I don't know if you want to go after Dubnik like that. Now Dubnik was no. like, it's a seven, nothing game. This is probably my one of two games I'm going to play this year for San Jose. Let's just have some fun here. Um, yeah, but, but you mentioned Billy who, so, and you know, he showed glimpses of possibly being a guy that could play in the future, but, and this is going back to the question of where St. Louis is at in terms of where they want to be. Are they, do they think they're a real contender? Do they go after a goaltender this free agency? Because there's a lot of goaltenders out there that are on the market that are, as of right now, UFAs. Now, there's some that are pretty sure they're going to get signed by their respective clubs. You're probably going to see Peter Morazic get re-signed by Carolina. Philip Grubauer in Colorado. Tuka Rask is a big question mark, but there's a possibility there. Um, but there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot of goaltenders that may stay home where they are currently, at least according to Cap Friendly here, because I don't see why Florida is going to get rid of Chris Drieger uh, the way of the yeah. season he had this year. But that's what I'm saying is, are they going to test the market at all? Or do you think, you know what? We were giving $6 million to one goaltender and Huso has some promise. Let's just see what we got. I think that's probably the route that they take. Um, you know, I mean, like, it's... I don't really necessarily think that goaltending... I mean, goaltending can be a concern <laughs> at, at times, but I don't think that it's necessarily, like, the concern that they're focused on. Um, and I think that there is a little bit of a tendency um, for for fans and the franchise both to kind of go, well, but we won the cup with them. So obviously, you know, we need to continue to, to, you know, put our faith and trust in, in, in Bennington. And like, that's kind of, that was two years in the past. Right. Tough changes um, as the blues are definitely learning right now. Um, you know, and Whatever worked a couple years ago, hopefully it works again next year. But, you know, what if it doesn't? Um, but I, I don't, and the Blues don't have, like, ready, necessarily have a lot of ready goaltending depth to um, just to come in and, um, and alleviate anything. So, I mean, if an emergency happens, if, if Bennington or Huso gets injured, I can see the Blues kind of trying to figure something out with goaltending. Um, but barring that, I really, I don't really, think that's the, the area of the, uh, the lineup that they're really going to do much with. Hey, they got Joel Hofer, world junior champion goaltender down there poking it around. I think he gets an honest, I, I believe, you know what I'd say I'm always for giving goaltenders a chance. I know it's, it's going to be easier than a two game season next year. Cause last year it was like, all right, we got 56 games. We can't afford to take nights off now. Granted. Yeah. Teams in the West. Now I about to say teams in every single division had time had opportunities to take time off because of COVID and whatnot. Yeah. Next next season will be a little different. And speaking of different, I don't I don't say it's different, but it's back to normal next year. The only difference being is that Arizona comes into the central division now, but 
where, you know, it's early. I know we still have to go through free agency. We still have to go through the expansion draft, the draft itself, trades, all this stuff until we get to September. But right now, where do you think St. Louis stacks up in this central division? Because you're going to get Winnipeg back. Minnesota, if they can get Kaprizov signed and keep him in the United States, I think they're going to be a formidable threat. Yeah, Tampa, oh, yeah. Tampa, Carolina, Florida, they're out of the central. They're back out east, which is probably for the best of everybody involved. But Chicago is looking like a tougher team to deal with. Dallas, I think if they are actually able to get consistent games in practice, unlike they had last year, I think they're going to be a playoff contender. Nashville, I don't know what the heck's going on there, so maybe you can consider that an outlier. But and but then you have Colorado, who's probably going to be the, towards the top of this division. Where does St. Louis sit in your mind right now, Laura, in the new central, the renewed Central Division? Yeah, I mean, I think that like the. I mean, there, there, there's so much with um, Arizona keeps getting better every year. I'm convinced sooner or later they're going to make the playoffs again in like a traditional format. Like they, they, they really, they were the team that I said last season were going to, uh, you know, be the ones to knock the Blues out of the playoffs if it happened, and it almost happened. So I think the Blues are a potentially you know depending on depending on what happens probably just middle of the road but the bad thing is though is that so is arizona and dallas if like you said if they actually get some momentum going dallas is kind of there and you know winnipeg right now looks like a better team and colorado certainly is in a better place um and Minnesota, if last year wasn't just a fluke, you know, so I think the Blues will probably, depending on depending on what happens going forward, the Blues might have to be might find themselves in the position to be fighting for um, for that last playoff spot in the Central. You know, I think they're going to be okay. right in the middle of everything. You know, you're not wrong there because here's the thing: I, I was thinking about this because we're going to go back to the wild card format, even though I call me old old fart Tyler here, but I think that now that there's eight teams in each division, that there should just be four in each division. Now I think I'd like to see that the old Norris division, smite division days we used to have way back in the day uh, before. Well, I was still an infant, but those were the days though, back when I didn't have to worry about working or anything like that back when I barely exactly. could even walk. But I wonder now is the central division going to be, I guess the, the it division because I'm looking at the West right now. Yes, Seattle's going to be there. I think they'll be an interesting team to follow and keep tabs on. But there's Vegas out there. But then you have the California teams. Is is the I think the Pacific Division is going to be by far the weakest division next year. I think there may be five teams coming out of the West, at least at the playoffs, that are going to be from the Central Division. Yeah, I think that we're going to – I think that the Central – it's been a little bit, but I think that, that the Central's probably going to be the harder of the two divisions in, in the Western Conference. Um, unless some miracle happens and at least one of the Californian teams kind of you know, fixes whatever's wrong with them. Um, and who knows with Vancouver? Uh, who knows with Vancouver, obviously? There's Edmonton that may finish up towards right, the top, like, but they'll, they'll fall in the first round. Yeah, I mean, like some teams you can just kind of, you can just kind of tell. Um, 
I think that I honestly I think that the central is going to be a lot tighter than the west is unless one of the California teams or or Vancouver um, decides to really pick it up and get going. Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, I don't know if the West is going to be, or the Central is going to be the toughest division in hockey next year, but I think that it'll be the tougher, the two Western Conference divisions for sure. Yeah. Cause there was, there was a part of the last couple of years out here in the East where it was, you know, the Atlantic division, that's one of the toughest divisions out there. Well, yeah, because it had Boston, Toronto, and Tampa at the top. And then the rest of the division yeah. was bad Florida, Montreal, Detroit, Buffalo, and Ottawa. Whereas the Metro, they were not as good as the teams in the Atlantic, but between, you know, it was one, two, three, tr- Buff- Boston, Tampa, Toronto. Or no, I think it was Tampa, Toronto, Boston. I forgot exactly how the top three worked. But then from four through eight, we're all Metro teams. So the last five spots in the conference, but the other five spots in the playoffs were Metro teams. So that may be how yeah. it is with the Central this year. I would not be shocked because that means St. Louis could easily get a five spot in and then have to go take on the Colorado Avalanche again in the first round. Because I, because yeah. I, that's, I mean, I know Colorado's not a playoff and they're not showing that they're a playoff strength team yet, but they're still a regular season team. And boy, they, they don't show signs of slowing down. Oh yeah, no, I fully expect them to to win the uh, win the regular season in the central next year. Yeah, they're they're gonna be I, they're they're still so stacked. I know they can't seem to win the I say they're they're they this era is now Tampa Bay. Now that Tampa Bay's won, now it's Colorado for the team that has, you know, oh they falter but they have all this talent. They'll be good. Uh, Matthew Estevez compared them to the Washington Capitals. So either A or B, they both those teams won a cup eventually. But let's give you that last question here before we let you go here, Laura. You're way too early Stanley Cup pick for next year. Who oh do you think? Um, who do you think takes it? Is it is Tampa pull off the three peat? Is Kucherov <laughs> sober up and uh, sober up enough in time for the season to start? Oh God, I don't know about that because I. Uh, <laughs> oh boy, I yeah, I saw him wandering around with the uh, the con Smythe on his head as a hat today, so he's going to be out for a little while. Um, I think that's a really tough question this far out. Um, I know what the the usual picks are usually either like Colorado or Vegas or or Tampa, and honestly, I think Tampa Bay's. I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me honestly if Tampa managed to pull off a three peat. Um, you know, just kind of depending on how their off season goes. But I'm trying to think, I don't I don't really have I don't think it'll be out of the West. Um, Next year, I don't know why. I just have a feeling it's not going to be out of the West next year. I'm not not really. I would love to see the Islanders get back into it. They've been so close the last couple of seasons, um, making it back to the Stanley Cup final. And I'm always a fan of, of you know, that whole first Stanley Cup and however many years kind of narrative and and getting some getting some new blood in there once in a while. So I'm kind of. I'll, I'm not going to say they'll win the cup, but I, I would like to see at least the Islanders back in the uh, back in the cup final. They were 60 minutes away this year from getting back to the final. So, so close, so close. I, okay, actually no. So I was I said that was your last question, but I lied. I got one more that just came to my head. Uh-oh. But um, okay. I do have to deliver somewhat of a breaking news story. Uh, Adam Vingan, who writes for the Athletic for the National Predators tweeted this that came to his inbox advisory predators to hold major press conference tomorrow at Bridgestone arena. Oh boy. 
D now there. I'm reading the comment section and the majority of the responses are a new banner. <laughs> the first round exit 2021. Um, someone, someone actually said something legit and it was either, um, I'm going to say the guy's name. I say it wrong here. He's Hey, look at this. It's a teacher. He's a seventh grade math teacher. Uh, Joel Bezer says Pekka or Poyle retirement news. I'm guessing that would not shock me, but I guess for the first thing you hear there, Laura, when you hear breast conference, press, press, good mm. Lord, press conference tomorrow in Nashville. What do you think when you hear that? I have a sneaking suspicion that it's probably going to be a Pekka retirement, like the official making it official. Um, I wonder how long it will take them though, since we all know how much the press love banners. Um, I wonder how long it's going to take them to retire his number though. The 35th game of the season, the 35th game, first yeah. 35th home game of the season, probably or something like that. Cause that would make sense. And I, I listen, I don't think there's anyone that's knocking that. If, if Pecorini's sweater goes up in the banner or in the rafters there at Bridgestone, because the, the stuff that he did, he was, I'll be, I mean, you know, cause this is why I'm mad that Henrik Lundqvist signed with Washington and hinted at the idea he's going to go play for the Capitals. Cause I'm like, you're always a Ranger. So that's why like if Pekka ever right. went to someone else, I'm like, but you were a Nashville Predator for life. And that's why I think no matter what, like you made a really good point there. His number is going to be retired by the Predators. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think that they're, I mean, why bother waiting? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a foregone conclusion. Why, why drag it out? Just go ahead, let him retire. And then, like you said, maybe 35th home game of the year or 35th game of the year, whatever falls, just do it then. I mean, there's no point in waiting like 900 years to retire somebody's number. Yeah, that that would be I, I will say that makes a lot of sense because because I know like a lot of people, they'll do it on like the 27th day of the month, like when Ron Hextall's number is retired. Unfortunately, there's no 35th day of the month, so you kind of have to wait on it. Um, <laughs> yeah, you got to be creative. Also, an update since the Tampa Bay Lightning decided to dent the Stanley Cup, they have to get send it back to Montreal to be fixed. The irony in that, Laura, right there is the perfect story for this offseason. Montreal has to fix Tampa's broken cup. Oh my god, that that, that really feels right though. That oh really, man, just do, uh, do you know who uh, who dented it? Uh, I I money on Kucherov. I forgot. I think yeah, it was probably. um Kalor. It wasn't Kalorin that was carrying it off, but the picture. Oh gosh, I can't recognize the face. It almost looks like Maroon is one carrying it, but they have to send it back. But I I would not be shocked though if it was Kalorin that somehow dropped it or something, <laughs> or not or, uh, <laughs> or Kucherov. Sorry. Yeah, not after the pictures I saw today. Oh um, man! Well, he did. Think, they did. I think he maybe where the smart money is. I, I mentioned this off the top of the show. Someone was brave enough to do another interview with him on the boat, and I'm like, oh good lord, he's oh, oh. And I don't know how local TV is with censoring, but there's no way that that live. If I think it was a live interview too, I'm like, how in the world is someone ready to bleep him out because that? Oh man, uh, somebody, somebody must be getting ready to quit their job and they want to go out on top. Nikita, any of the worst part was like the guy asked him like legit hockey questions. What do you think about the team this year? How do you think the boys play in the playoffs? He is drunker than a skunk. Why? Kucherov, how many? Now, the more legit question, one that he would probably answer. Uh, Cooch, how many shots of vodka you take before he came out here? He'll probably give you an answer. Right? Because that wasn't all Bud Light and champagne. No. No, no adult man could get that drunk off of Bud Light. Without, without, without uh, like drinking a suitcase's worth. Or without losing some of it. Right. Like that's it's like drinking water. There's no way. So that was not 
all Bud Light and Bubbly. There was, there were some other. Maybe he, uh, maybe he pulled a Robbie Fabry and pulled out a bottle of uh, Pappy Van Winkle and shotgunned it. Oh gosh, that. Because that's that's a tradition. I feel like you know maybe you could hang around. Just pulling just out random stuff. Yeah, oh. you know, just center ice, just shotgun a bottle of liquor, and then go do a bunch of interviews. I will say this, though. The way the cup is shaped, it's like flattened on the right side of the chalice or of the bowl. And I'm like, that'd make it a little bit easier to drink out of, don't you think? I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, my college days are long since behind me, Laura, but I think the, the physics of that, I mean, you're the teacher here. Would that actually make it a little bit easier to drink, you think? I mean, depends on how sober the person holding on to it is, I guess. Oh, yeah, that's probably doesn't matter then. There's your there's your outlier for today's survey, kids. So take, I was ever, gonna say, like, <laughs> oh, man. If I if my team ever like I if I ever find a way to get on a team of any kind that has a trophy that has a bowl in it, I will tell you it'll be a great time. I won't remember it, but I'm gonna party like I won the thing myself. I'll tell you. Uh, oh seriously. Oh man, it'll be so much fun. So here is the legit last question to you, Laura, because as far as we okay. know, nothing has popped up yet on the Twitter feed. But this one I was thinking about earlier, and it just came back to my brain. Which team is going to win a championship first in St. Louis? The Cardinals or the Blues or some other team that or some other team that shows up first, <laughs> like like the Major League Soccer team. Um, hey, you never know. St. Louis has always been a great market for soccer, or at least yeah, a great producer say, for players. Honestly, right now, probably the MLS club, probably uh, probably City. Um, I don't know. The Cardinals are kind of a dumpster fire right now. Um. Although I have to say that I am really impressed they have three all-stars. I don't know how that happened considering, Votes. you know, Voting. that the team is, I guess, because the team's literally painful to watch. But probably the, honestly, probably the um, the soccer team. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just me being my, my typical optimistic self. I just, if, if I can see... You know, a little bit of, of a fix in the Cardinals' future. Maybe that would change how I feel, but I, 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 I don't. I love how you, and it's so funny because people are at home like, wait, St. Louis has – they don't have one right now, kids. She is betting on the team that will not play until 2023. <laughs> that's how yep. That's how much faith Laura Astoria has right now on her <laughs> Blues and her Redbirds. Cooper Weinthar, my good buddy, who's from, or is from Iowa, big Birds fan himself. He'd probably agree with you. Let's be honest. And he's never watched a soccer yeah. game in his life, I'm sure. Uh, Laura, it has been awesome as always having you on here on today's program. We've been talking with Laura a story. And if you guys want to follow her, you should at Hildy Mac on Twitter, on Instagram. Follow him at St. Louis Game Time as well on Twitter. Check him out. SB Nation. We'll put a link to their stuff. Take a put a link as well to Hildy Mac's latest post on St. Louis Game Time because her and all the group there down there on SB Nation. They're doing an awesome job producing all the best St. Louis Blues content. Win or lose, they still booze following the Blues, right? Pretty much. Win or lose, they still... See, I have to say we still booze, but you'd say win or lose, you still blues, or you still have the Blues. I don't know which one's a better marketing term, though, for St. Louis. I don't know if you want to do that, though. I mean... You're, You're a few states away. They can't find you, right? Exactly. It's like exactly. Just, I'm all the way. I'm all the way in Georgia. I'm fine. Just say, just do it like the Atlanta Gladiators do. Say you're in Atlanta. They will never find you. <laughs> exactly. No, we're totally not in a different county 
an hour and a half outside of the set. No. The Atlanta Gladiators, live from Duluth, Georgia. Not even close. Lord, it takes me, and it literally does take me about an hour to get out there. So they might as well call themselves the Timbuktu Gladiators. Timbuktu, you know what? I'll tell you, there's a mar- that's a better marketing name than Atlanta Gladiators. You have to try to say it. Do you guys play at Phillips Arena? No, not even. Nope, no. not at all. <laughs> they, they don't even have ice there. Jeez. My goodness, yeah. Well, you know what? The Thrashers, they were fun, but, you know, Winnipeg needed yeah. a team back, let's be honest. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe maybe someday. But then again, I don't know if the Angels going to want to try to go back to Atlanta for a third time. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not Gary oh. Bettman, nor do I ever want to be. Oh God, no! I don't think I don't know if anybody does other than Gary. Oh, by the way, remember we talked about this the last time. I actually found Bill Daly's email. Oh, you did! Oh boy! And guess what? <laughs> he did not respond to my request for an interview for this Aww. show. Party pooper! Shockingly Jeez. enough, Bill Daly realized he saw the bear trap a mile away, could smell it, realized that would have been a bet. I don't want. I wouldn't have turned Bill Daly into. I would have asked him some very important and very intricate questions. In a very calm exactly. and not passive aggressive way whatsoever. And none of which you would probably straightforwardly answer. No, probably not. Well, if anyone remembers the state of the league address before the game one of the finals, the first four of the first five questions had to do with Chicago, and they <laughs> lawyered up. They Oh man. Well, uh, yeah, Bill, what do you know was... about this? Well, Gary, I don't know anything about this. Good answer, Bill. Good answer, Gary. Good Great job. job. Handshakes all around. Yeah, that was some serious now, Gary Bettman's good with the lawyer talk, but that was probably the best I've seen him do in a while. Uh, and uh, let's be, and I'll be honest. And I remember there were a lot of people that harped because Ron McClain also had the interview with him during Game Four, of the first intermission of the finals. People were like, "Why didn't Ron ask Gary about Chicago?" I'm like, "Because one of two things: having worked in media myself, when you have interviews like that one on one, there is a specific list of questions that are agreed upon." And two, he would have he would have asked it, and nothing would have came out. It would have been the exact same answer we would have gotten. Now, when that story develops and when we see more of the investigation, Laura, I'm pretty sure you can agree with us that Bettman and Daly are probably a little bit more transparent when more stuff comes out with this whole Blackhawk scenario, right? Yeah, I think once they finally, they don't have any reason to be kind of, not, I don't want to use the word invasive because it makes them sound like they're like criminal masterminds, but um, I, I think that the more that comes out and the more that's, you know, obviously known about the situation if it does i think that it's going to be be to the point where neither one of them can you know kind of pass the buck back to the blackhawks or the the league's going to have to say something it's probably not going to be super detailed or anything but i think that at a certain point i don't really know if they can dodge it anymore no the the once the details come out then they'll probably address it it's one of those things i know people that's the one people that are sick of gary bettman is like he always talks like he's a lawyer uh why do you think he was hired, guys? Because <laughs> that's right? what I'm sorry. You went from John Ziegler, who was a lawyer, to Gil Stein, who was a nut job, and they decided, you know what, let's go with a lawyer again. And that's what yeah. they've been. Why not do that? He's more stable. He's much more stable. And I mean, he hasn't been all terrible. Yeah. The league has made a lot of money thanks to him. So I can give him some credit for some things. His Sometimes. name, he's not Roger Goodell or Rob Manfred. So I'm pretty sure that it, puts him up there. Right? That is, oh, yeah. Uh, automatically, he's the second best commissioner in sports by default. I'm glad that we all can agree that Adam Silver is the best. I'm glad we can oh, all agree that. upon that because that is right there. The telltale sign that while the NBA, I I may not be a fan of how they play or the fact that whenever some, when LeBron gets 
a breathe on. He flails like a dumb fish out in the air. But their commissioner is, he's legit. He's a cool dude. I don't know if he could control the hockey landscape. Maybe it just works in the basketball world, but he he knows what he's doing. Uh, absolutely. Laura, it's been fun as always. We'll definitely get back with you again. Hopefully the Blues are doing better. Well, you know, hey, you know what? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes the bad teams are more fun interviews. <laughs> I love talking guys exactly. with Buffalo because they just yell and scream how bad their team is. So, Well, God bless them. Oh, Laura. All right. You take care. All right. We'll talk to you soon. You too. That was Laura Astorian. A fun interview as always from Georgia. She is from, uh, always a pleasure talking with her. A little over half hour time here. We'll take a quick pause here, folks. We'll quick reset. When we come back, we'll talk about news north of the border. No, not the Blue Jays yet. Nothing there. Nobody, nobody go too crazy yet. As much as I would love to hear the news that coming up, Next week, they're going to play at the Sky Dome. It's not going to happen yet, but we will talk about some news with the Ottawa Senators, the nation's capital. They hired a new guy. It's a guy that you know. We'll talk about that and more when we come back here on the Cule Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. And welcome back here to the Cule Show, everyone. Kyle here for the last half hour of today's program. If you have, if you're watching us on 12 ounce sports, if you're catching us on the podcast replay, you're missing this right now, but I have in my possession a puppy. I have a puppy. Yes, that is right. Children. I have a dog. Her name is Wixie and she has been naughty. Somebody. Yeah. You're going to get held like this because somebody, because we're going to be moving out here in a little bit because we got a house. Someone decided that she was going to go into the bathroom and mommy is watching Return of the Jedi and tear up the bath mats. So after the wife promptly punished her because she was being naughty, what did she decide to do then? She went and decided to tear at the carpet on the floor that she's already been tearing at, which is going to the reason why we lost her security deposit. And to top it all off, she decided she's going to go into her kennel after the wife took her outside. She started tearing at her nice new bed that mommy got her for her birthday last week. What do you have to say for yourself, Wixie? That's all you got? A boop? A, you booped your snoot on the mic? That's all you got? That's all you got to say for yourself? What do you? What is your malfunction? Why are you being naughty? Why is your face so cute, though? It's hard to not look at this face. Look at this face. How can I be mad at her for so long? Look at her. Now she looks sad because I feel like... No, no. I'm being dad right now. No, you are wrong. You are not... Look at me, Wixie. <laughs> she starts to crouch down. Wixie, come here. That's it. You're getting held like a baby. Ah, come here. Oh, here. Move your legs. Move your legs. Stop, stop. Move. What are you doing? Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. Ugh. Ugh. Come here. Yeah. Look at it, Wixie. Hey, look. It's a, it's a corgi butt. <laughs> I don't think Wixie's happy. Wixie's not happy the way I'm holding right now. All right, you ready to get down? Hold on. Wixie, you're tangled up in the court. There we go. Okay, go ahead. Go down. There you go. I think public shaming is enough for today for Wixie. Everyone right now on the podcast is like, what just happened? I was holding a dog up to the microphone for her chance to explain herself, but she did not. Now she's down by my feet. Nope, she's over by the door. I think she wants... I think she realized she was in more trouble than she was. Yes, Kelly, she wants out now. I think did I, did I think I public you shamed her enough. Do you think I public shamed her enough? No. 
Oh boy. Here comes some more public shaming from the wife. <laughs> that lower, lower. I chewed up the back mat. She and they chewed up the corner of the carpet in the apartment. We're gonna move out of it and move in here now. I, I, I did say all that. I I gave her I gave him the deets on what happened. Yeah, I, I chewed up my bed that mom got me for my birthday. I'm not gonna tell people how much the bed was, but yeah. I'm guilty. At least she's honest. And she's gone. Oh boy. Love you. I heard I was I was hearing the yelling when I was talking we were talking to Laura story before the break. And I knew for a fact that I was gonna have to go out and answer to somebody. And I'm kidding you not, folks. Went to break, I opened the door and the wife has the dog and she's like, Here, she's your problem now. So we made it I made it our problem here on TKS. So last order of business today. By the way, if you missed out on the news today, Duncan Keith traded from the Chicago Blackhawks to the Edmonton Oilers for Caleb Jones and a third-round pick. Also, the fact that the Predators are holding a major press conference tomorrow. Elliot Friedman tweets nothing. He has tweeted out nothing as of yet. Ooh, okay. Here is the official. We have the official trade here on the Duncan Keith scenario, by the way. There was actually more added to it. As of right now, we know nothing of the story regarding the National Predators tomorrow, but we have the official terms on the pick, or the trades, and the pick as well. So the Oilers get Duncan Keith and forward Tim Soderlund from Chicago in exchange for Caleb Jones and a conditional draft pick in 2022. Let's jump on over to our friends at Cap Friendly here and see if we can get a better detail on how everything is, because that would be Excuse me, that would certainly change things. So now he's officially off of cap friendly. So it must have not have been an official trade. It was all reported that there was a third round pick. Let's get over here to the details of the trade. Dun, 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 dun. Where, let's go to the picks here. So it's a conditional third round pick. So yeah, so that is, and the condition is if the Oilers make it to the Stanley Cup finals next year and Keith is top four in playoffs time on ice during the first three rounds. The pick goes then to a second-round pick. So no matter what, it'll be a third-round pick for sure to Chicago with Caleb Jones. But if Edmonton makes it to the finals next year, which they won't anyways, and Duck Keith somehow is playing 20 minutes plus during the postseason, then it becomes a second-round pick. However, I don't think that's going to happen, children. I know. Disappointed we all are. Let's get down to the story that we we're going to go with here. Pierre Maguire hired by the Ottawa Senators as the Senior Vice President of Player Development. Sorry, I didn't mean to bump my mic there. Now, here's the question I have, and I'm pretty sure what you all have at home. Why? Why would this guy be hired? Now, the only thing I can possibly think of is, is that both ESPN and TNT realized, why do we want this guy? That's the only thing I can possibly think of. Obviously, no team is just going to hire him on as a full-time color commentator. That's not going to. That's not how things work typically. But here is my my whole shenaniganery with the understanding of why he is the guy. I'm trying to figure it out because he was fired as part of the management staff, the front office with the Ottawa Senators in the mid '90s, back when Dave Allison was the head coach. By the way, former Grand Rapids Griffins head coach. Fired in 96 because the team was garbage. He wasn't the GM. He was uh, assistant GM at the time. He got brought it back, brought in as a scout. 
He was the head, it was assistant GM and then the head coach of the Hartford Whalers, was the coach for the 93-94 season, where the team went in abysmal under his tutelage, 23-37-7. and Pat Verbeek, the captain of the Hartford Whalers at the time, said that that was the best thing when he got fired after the season because the players didn't respect him, other teams didn't respect him. And so I guess you can say over the last 20 plus, 25, 26 years, nothing has changed. Now, yes, his claim to fame outside of his broadcasting work is the fact that he was an assistant coach on the 92 Penguins Cup team because Scotty Bowman met him while Pierre was working as an assistant for St. Lawrence back in the late 80s because Scotty Bowman's daughter went to the University of St. or St. Lawrence State or St. St. Lawrence University, yeah, ECAC school. When Scotty Bowman went to Pittsburgh, he had an open job as a member, uh, part of player development, hired him on, partially a scout, and then promoted him to an assistant coaching job. That's pretty much the reason why McGuire had those couple of jobs there in the 90s. After being fired from Ottawa, though, he started getting into broadcasting. Also was a coach of, uh, who was it, Baton Rouge in the ECHL or whatever. My question is this, what qualifications does Pierre Maguire have to work in the front office of National Hockey League team? Now, Pierre Dorian of the Ottawa Senators, the general manager, came out and said that he reports, Pierre reports to Pierre. Maguire reports to Dorian. So, Maguire's not going to make any big decisions on his own dime, is what we're getting at. At least that's what Pierre Dorian cleared up in the press conference today. Now, yeah, say what you want. Pierre Maguire is wild. He is. He knows everything. He has every single tutelage, uh, cliche, whatever you want to call it. I'm trying to figure out... I mean, now, yes, Senior Vice President of Player Development, it pretty much means he's the head of... I don't want to say the assistant GM, but he's the head of prospects, scouting and the minor league system for the Ottawa Senators. And the Ottawa Senators have touted themselves over the last few seasons, especially this year, of being able to develop young talent and draft them as well. They don't want to lose that reputation. So they have, they're kind of putting their balls on the line here, kids. Pretty much saying, hey, Pierre Maguire is the guy that can help us develop Belleville because Belleville is not a bad hockey team. The Senators in the AHL. He can put together, help put together a good scouting staff to give us a good idea of who to pick. Obviously, he's not going to have a big impact in this year's draft, but drafts coming up in the future. And obviously, if there's going to be a prospect involved in a trade or whatnot or a cheap minor league signing, Pierre's going to have an idea on that. Oh, yes, Pierre is a very knowledgeable hockey guy. I'm not going to knock that at all. Just listen to him during a broadcast. He can tell you who exactly won the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament in 1999 and who from that tournament played in the NHL a few years later and yada, 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 yada. But will that translate to a successful development system in the National Hockey League? Because when Pierre was working in the NHL almost 30 years ago, in fact, it was, working with Pittsburgh. But... If this works, the only way the really the, the telltale success that this works with Pierre Maguire is if they keep bringing in players. Because don't forget, once Kachuk needs his contract and Shabbat will have his contract, and 
Of course, you got to make sure you're going to have to sign a lot. There's going to be a few other guys, young guys you have to sign. You're going to need to bring in a goaltender eventually if you want to be good. To keep bringing in younger players to fill the depth roles and kind of grow into a mold, that's going to be the success. So we're not going to be able to be like, next year if Ottawa makes the playoffs. Oh, it's because Pierre Maguire was the guy. No, it's like saying, like, that's when people said, yeah, Dave Nonis is a great GM because the Leafs made the playoffs in 2013 during the shortened lockout season even though that team was Brian Burks. The true success of Pierre in his possession, Pierre Maguire in his position that he's been hired on by the Ottawa Senator, senior VP of player development, that's strictly going to become a thing that we're going to see probably for not another five years to see if it really pays off. If we get to the question, similar to what Laura kind of pertained to, St. Louis doesn't have many good young goaltending prospects, at least not bred enough yet to be NHLers. If we in about five years say that Ottawa is not producing enough young talent to fill the roles or fill the spots that they need in the lineup coming up from Belleville, coming out of junior, then yes, we can say Pierre Maguire is doing a bad job then. I just want to know if this was a position that needed to be filled and they just said, heck, this guy studies elite prospects daily and we're going to sign him. We're going to hire him. He's the guy. That's the case, and so be it. I'll admit, I do my time on Elite Prospects myself because when I tell you, when you're broadcasting the under-18s and you need talking points, you tell them that this kid play, you know, this kid over here from Finland, he played for the Yokerite system for his entire career. Or he started off in Yokerite, went over to Pelicans or whatever. It's just kind of how you gotta do to get knowledge. And you know what, Pierre, he may have done that. That was his job. His job was to know everything about every player. Well, will that help for a team to be successful? It may make for good broadcasting notes and good information, but will it make a good hockey team? That is the question with Pierre Maguire. So we will just have to wait and see on that front. I am, as soon as I saw that, I was like, okay, that is interesting to say the least. Not much more time left here on the Kilo Show today. I said half an hour, I know, but unfortunately we're kind of running through things a little bit slowly. But pretty much got through the majority of the notes today. Obviously, like I said, I'm still interested to see what the Nashville story is going to be. I'm going to go with Laura on this one. It could be the Pecorine retirement. I would think that possibly we're going to see. And it's got to be Pierre. It's got to be Pierre. It's got to be Pecorine, I think, because I, I don't see the point of moving you know, having a big press conference for a trade or something like that, especially for the National Predators. Uh, last thing here, I guess we probably should let last thing here. So for those that know me, I'm a, I'm a footy fan. I like the football. I like the soccer. And I was, I was watching the Euro final yesterday. England versus Italy. And I have a lot of friends that are on both sides of the of the of the story here. I myself was cheering for England. Not because I don't like Italy, but I like a couple of guys. I love Kane. Kane's a great, obviously he's a big time player. I love Reed Sterling. And of course, on the team, didn't do much in the Euro, but is my guy from Manchester United, Marcus Rashford. And if for those that don't know, it was one one late in extra time. Rashford got brought on late and to literally, and they, this was the plan. They were going to, they were bringing them on to participate in penalties. 
I don't think I remember I was I was nervous because I knew I knew that was the point. And you just every time you see something like that, you're just like, this is terrifying. Cause you just know something bad's gonna happen because when you bring someone in for this reason, it's it's just it's almost a disaster waiting to happen. So obviously they go to penalties, best of five. I've seen matches go on literally forever with penalties. I don't think they've ever been nervous, but it was Jordan Pickford versus, uh, oh gosh, Donner Tume. I think that's how you say his name, the Italian keeper. You look at them and it's like, there's no way they're going to make a save because Berardi scores first, Kane scores first. But then Belotti gets stopped. Big save. England's got the advantage. Maguire scores. And then Bonucci scores. So all of a sudden it's 2 2. Bottom of the third. Here comes Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford has the chance to not put the game away, but give England a solid 3-2 edge. Marcus Rashford, who hadn't played much, I don't think he, I'm trying to figure out how much he actually played during the Euro. It's not a lot. Comes on and puts it off the post. Gets the keeper to bite the correct way. Wide open cage on the near side on his left. Puts it off the post. Dang it. And then Bernadeschi scores. And then here comes Jadon Sancho, the other guy that got brought on for penalties late in extra time. He gets stopped. And all of a sudden, England needs a save. They get one. Huge save. Huge save by Pickford. Wembley goes crazy. They have a chance. All they need to do is score. And here comes the teenager, Bukayo Saka, who had came on in the second half and was playing well. He was playing good. This was his chance to be the hero for England, to continue to keep the penalties going. And he gets stopped. And I remember going quiet. My wife gave me a hug, gave me a kiss on the cheek, knew I was unhappy. But that was it. Italy wins the gold cup. The gold cup, excuse me. The Euro cup. I'm so, and now I quickly transfer over because the gold cup's going on, the CONCACAF gold cup. It's going on tonight, or it started it off this past weekend as well. Italy wins. I think it's their fourth title. England still has not won a major championship since 1966 when they won the World Cup on home soil. And you know what? I was bummed. I was really bummed. But then, I sh- you know, I, it's the worst part is, maybe it's me being a little naive or maybe just a stupid optimist, but what happened next was, uh, it's something that happens way too regularly. People on social media decided that they were going to voice their displeasure. Oh, not because Rashford missed hit the post. Not because he put off the wrong side of his foot. Not just because Sancho and Saka both went to the same side and they were very easy saves there for Dunroot to me. Nope, they went after them because they were black. They were attacked because they missed all three of them. And they went after them with every stupid inconceivable, simple-minded, racist remark that you can think of. And it hurts so darn much to see that because these, these are kids. Rashford and I, I think Sanchez may be older than me, but Rashford and I, Rashford's younger than I am. Saka, literally anywhere else, he's in, he's in high school, he's in secondary school. And these kids are on the world stage and they fail and that is how you repay them. They play, and, and the worst part was it was the people that were going after him. Obviously, were were England supporters. I don't understand what 
are how many generate how many years or generations do we need to be till before we can say oh it's just because that's how they were brought up when when can we stop using that stupid excuse when does that happen kids because that's my problem with this the fact that haven't we gotten better yet as society and the answer is clearly no that a sporting event has caused people to attack three young men because they missed. You guys remember the the twenty was it twenty yeah twenty nineteen quarterfinal Canada versus Finland. Maxime Comtois missed the penalty shot in overtime. Could have won it. Would have been done. Canada would have moved on and had pretty much could have been that was a straight shot to the gold medal game. Finland ended up winning it. Capocacco. But. Nope, Comtois misses, and because he is French-Canadian, every Anglophone Canadian decided that they were going to give their peace. And guess what, kids? Every single derogatory term towards a French-Canadian that you could think of came out on social media because the keyboard warriors are so darn strong that they think they can just say whatever they want because their guy missed and their team lost. Oh, my goodness, guys. Could you imagine Marcus Rashford scores? Oh, my goodness. Pandemonium. Sancho scores. Saka scores. England wins. Statues. Statues getting built around Wembley. That's how, that's just how stupidly polar opposite the reactions are. Racist derogatory comments towards kids or praise till the end of time. And they would have been done by the same people. That's the worst part in all this. Was I mad that Rashford missed? Yes. Was I sad that Rashford missed? Yes, because like I said, he's my man, you guy. Am I bummed that Saku, who had a great opportunity to solidify himself and make him the next star of England? Yes, I was mad that he missed and he got stopped. Went to the same side. Yeah. All say all three saves of the Italian keep right at, well, the two saves were the same side. But he bit three times in a row to the same side. Was I mad? Yes. Did I feel the need to go after him by dropping words that I'm not even going to think about saying? No, absolutely not. Because I'm not, I, I don't know if it's because I disrespect people more or whatnot, but I don't feel like, say, yes, calling him a dumb schmuck for going to the same side. Sure. Okay, fine. That's whatever. But saying the N word and. I don't know what other words. I don't know if there's any other different derogatory slang that's overused over in England and over in Europe towards black people. But no, I never felt like saying that because I like to think that A, it's just a sport. It's just a game. And B, why would you ever say stupid stuff like that? I will say this. It took me a long time to learn to not use words that you know, that were derogatory towards LGBTQ community. Because when I was a kid growing up, when you're in middle school and high school, hey, blank you, other F word. Yeah. Or, you know, you're a blank, you know. I, yeah, I said that when I was in middle school and high school. And I am, I've been blessed to have people that have come into my life that have told me, Tyler, that's not right. And explain to me why. There are words that I can't say anymore. As much as I love the movie Slapshot, there are move, there are quotes I can't say anymore in Slapshot because it just it just it just doesn't feel right to say. 
Why still say that now then? I know I'm just a simple podcaster. That's not going to change the world. Yet maybe, just maybe, if I say it, maybe someone else will say it, and then someone else will say it, and someone and someone and someone, and it'll just grow exponentially to the point where eventually, one day, we're not all jackasses. We're actually all decent people in this world, and we can all live and actually sing, hold hands in hand across the globe, literally around, even through the Bering Sea, up through Alaska, and back down through eastern Russia. We all hold hands and we say kumbaya. Will that ever happen? No, probably not. But... We can all dream, right? And on that bombshell, as my good buddy Jeremy Clarkson would say, which is the completely worst person to use to try to compare this to, given the fact that he's said some dumb stuff in his time, that is it for this week's episode of The Cool Show. Next week, we're going to have two shows, but not the same way that you would think, kids. Monday will be the Seattle Kraken and NHL Draft Preview. Wednesday, we will be live on The Cool Show to discuss, to do our live reactions. Hopefully we get someone else to come back on the show to talk about it because we're going to react to the expansion draft of the Seattle Kraken. It'll be exciting. It'll be fun. I am intrigued. I hope you guys are too because silly season is well underway here across the National Hockey League, and I am here for it in every sense of the word. Thank you once again to Laura Astorian for jumping on the show earlier today. It was fun always talking to her, talking about the St. Louis Blues. Like I said, links in the description for her pieces on St. Louis Game Time. If you were able to catch all the episode today, that's totally fine. I get it. You're busy. But no excuse to not check out the replay tomorrow on the Cool Show YouTube channel. Follow us at the Cool Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, as well as maybe listen to the episode set on your favorite podcatcher, Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio. We're everywhere to listen to as well. I'm Tyler Kuehl, the Insider of the Insider, saying thank you once again for listening. We'll see you next time here on The Kuehl Show. Goodbye. Goodbye.